what we saw from that moment is a lot of people within the communities around Caniva and Eden Hope come out and strongly condemn the mayor's comments. And I think, for me, that was just so heartwarming. Mm. What the mayor said perhaps years ago would have been dismissed and forgotten about and our communities would have had to suffer under it. But what we saw is so many in the community, so many allies and community members themselves who felt confident to speak out, speaking up, and it completely changed the story. My name is Dane and I am a queer woman living on Wadarung country. I work as the Regional Community Engagement Coordinator for Midsummer and I'm very proud to be part of the team who brought Pride Finder to life. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the lands on which this podcast episode was recorded, the Wadarung and Jarjawarung lands of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respect to Elders past and present. I would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which you live, work and play today, and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. We recognise the important role that art has played on these lands for thousands of years, and feel privileged to work alongside artists continuing the creative practice of one of the oldest surviving cultures in the world. Always was, always will be. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Sean, who has been living in Ballarat for just over five years. Sean works in the law and also volunteers as an advocate for LGBTQIA issues within local governments. He has some very interesting reflections about how far Ballarat has come over the past decade and some powerful stories about the ways in which community action can really affect change within our local governments. It's refreshing to hear from someone who seems to make quite significant changes in a relatively quiet and hopeful way. I hope you enjoy hearing from Sean. My name's Sean, my pronouns are he, him, and I live here in Ballarat. I've been living here for the past five years now. I was in England beforehand and in Melbourne before that. What drew you to Ballarat? To be honest, Nothing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was living overseas at the time uh, and my partner wanted to buy a house. House prices being as they are or were in Melbourne, it was a bit unaffordable there. We're starting to look in outer suburban areas and not areas that I necessarily wanted to live in. And we decided, well, perhaps we look into regional areas and we were tossing up between... Geelong and Ballarat and decided Ballarat in the end. And yeah, when I was overseas, he packed us up and moved us over here and came back from overseas and was in a new, in a new country town. Wow. Uh, I'd never lived in country Victoria before, so it was a bit of a shock to the system. How have you found it? It's grown on me, absolutely. Uh, I was first contemplating moving up to Ballarat when I just finished high school. I got an offer to study at the university here uh, doing performing arts and I came up uh, for a trip to sort of check out the campus and see what the town was like. And I remember distinctly somebody hurling out some homophobic abuse from a car as they were driving past and I went, no, this is not a place I want to live. So it was kind of strange some... uh, 
decade or so later to end up in the same place. And I was really apprehensive about it at first, but I found it's actually changed a lot since then. It's really welcoming, supportive community. So you feel, yeah, you feel a big, like you've got a community here and you feel a part of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the things about regional Victoria because, you know, in Melbourne there's so many places to go and events going on you don't necessarily have a sense of community in the particular neighbourhood that you're in, just living in the southern suburbs. But when you come to a regional area, because there is perhaps less big events, less places to go as a queer person, you kind of make a community amongst each other. And I find that's a lot stronger here in Ballarat than it was when I was growing up in Melbourne. So what is it exactly that you do in Ballarat? So I'm an academic. I'm based at La Trobe University, all the way over the other side of Melbourne. But I suppose one of the good things to come out of COVID is we realised we could all work from home. So I spend most of my time working from our home office here in Ballarat. Uh, My research looks at um, law and human rights broadly. So I do a bit of work around people who use drugs, people with hepatitis C, and also LGBTIQA plus communities. Um, In particular, how we make rights claims, how we argue for our rights and how those claims are heard by decision makers like politicians. When I'm not doing that, I'm involved in communities. So I uh, co-run the Victorian Pride Lobby's Rainbow Local Government Campaign, which is about supporting local governments right across Victoria to be more inclusive of the LGBTIQA plus people that live, work and recreate within their communities. Mm. Is that a just on the side thing? Yeah, yeah completely a volunteer right. and yeah, a passion project as well okay. too. There's uh, three of us in the team. Two of us are based regionally and we've been doing that work for, uh, I'd say, close on seven or so years now. Why are you focusing or why is it important to focus on local government? I think for a few reasons because local government is the arm of government that's closest to community. And we've seen, you know, during the marriage equality debate, a number of local governments came out and supported the yes vote and supported marriage equality and would raise and fly the flags from their town halls or other community buildings. And I think particularly for folk in regional areas where Spring Street or Canberra is so far away, having their local governments show support in a visible way is so meaningful, particularly if you're in one of those communities where, you know, sometimes you're the only gay in the village. And to see that uh, your local politicians are standing up for and supporting you, I think, means a lot. And it's also true that, you know, there'll be times where we don't get progressive governments in a state or a federal area. And we've seen what that can kind of mean for our communities. But if we've got local governments right across the state supporting us and backing us in, then it shows that there is at least one tier of government that's always going to stand up for our communities. And have you found, you know, that the local governments that you've been working with have been receptive and supportive? Absolutely. I mean, there's many a story and there's (laughs) some war tales as well too of difficult councillors. But I think for the most part... um, 
particularly in regional and rural councils, people in their hearts want to be supportive. And we saw that during the marriage equality vote. All of our regional electorates here in Victoria voted yes, which to me says that I think most of the people in regional Victoria are wholly accepting or just regard that as your own business and don't want to interfere with people's personal lives. And I think the thing for us is about um, giving people that might not understand the community and the community's needs, the vocabulary and the space to be able to come in and support. And for a lot of people uh, within local government, they want to support the community. They just don't know how. And they're nervous about saying something that might be misinterpreted or they're not sure they've got the terminology right. And I think when we talk to our local politicians in the local government um, sector and the local government workers as well too, we say, well, sometimes we don't even get the terminology right. It's always changing within our own communities. So I think as long as you're coming from a space of kindness and respect, that's always going to be received well. And I'd rather somebody say something that's imperfect but comes from a place of generosity and kindness than not saying anything at all. What have been some of your biggest achievements so far in that role? Yeah, well, here in Ballarat, we've um, established the first ever LGBTIQA plus advisory committee to council. So that's a group of members from our community that provide detailed advice to council on ways that they can improve LGBTIQA plus inclusion. And as a result of their work, we had the first ever Pride Swim Night at our local sports and aquatic centre. And it was a wonderful night where they trained up the staff, opened it up of an evening and enabled um, people around communities to swim, to do yoga, to go to the gym. And I think for a lot of us, um, you know, we all do that ourselves, but for some people, particularly transgender, diverse and intersex people, it can be quite confronting. You know, a lot of these spaces are highly gendered. You've got your male and female change rooms. And the great thing about the facilities at Ballarat is that they have got those all gender into single cubicles as well too. But there was also a really deliberate effort to embrace the diversity of our communities, the bodily diversity and otherwise. And it was a really wonderful night. And now uh, councils just passed their inaugural LGBTIQA plus action plan. So it's 30 or plus act or more actions that council's going to take to support our communities. And they've committed to evaluating that over time with the advisory committee that we've set up. So I think uh, Ballarat's well on their way towards um, being a city that embraces the LGBTIQA plus community. And it wasn't that long ago when we were having huge fights about just flying the rainbow flag. Now the rainbow flag is flown every year without question. And we've got councillors, council officers and community there celebrating the day. And we fly the trans flag and other flags for our community as well too. So I think Ballarat's come a long, long way in the past decade or wow, so. Wow, that must feel amazing. Mm. To, yeah, to, And to does. live in a place. That's, and to live in a place mm. and to see the difference that yeah. it makes within the community as well too. I think... Um, I think it, they're small gestures, but they have a big impact in the community. Mm. And you were saying before, or a friend was saying before, about uh, flags being flown in ev- at every council around regional Victoria. There's only a few remaining. That, yep. Yes. So with our campaign, we've supported councils to fly the rainbow flag. We've got 79 councils here in Victoria and now 70 
four of them are flying the rainbow flag on Idahobit, which is the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, Intersex Discrimination and Transphobia on 17th of May. Uh, and we're working with those remaining five councils. And I'm hopeful that come May 17th this year, all of Victoria will be flying the rainbow flag, which I think is a huge breakthrough as well. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're the only uh, state in the world where all of our local um, government authorities are flying the rainbow flag. And I think it says a lot about how far we've come as a community. And I'm really confident we'll get there. Mm. What do you what do you think is the what do you think has contributed to Victoria being progressive recently? I guess or making those changes. I think um, the LGBTIQA plus community is much more visible, more visible than we've ever been, and I think back on the marriage equality postal survey, it was a really difficult time for a lot within our community. But also, I think we need to look at it too as a wonderful win that we saw that despite years of inaction by politicians in Canberra, the community was, for the overwhelming majority, behind us completely. And I think that was a little bit of a wake-up call to politicians at all levels to say... There is a strong community sentiment that's backing up our communities and it's, I think, given local governments the space to be able to say that working on LGBTIQA plus projects is not only important for the LGBTIQA plus community but it's strongly supported by the general community as well too. And I think on a practical level, if you look at well, making spaces more um, accessible for different genders is great for for example, families where, you know, there might be dads that are taking their daughters to go swim and they can't go and change within um, the women's change room or the men's change room. If we've got those all gender spaces too, it makes going out as um, a different gendered coupled family more beneficial as well too. So the kind of improvements that we're making for our communities benefit the whole community. And I think local governments are coming around to seeing that, which is which is wonderful. You grew up in a city mm-hmm. and now you're living regionally. Mm-hmm. Do you see like particular differences in people's coming out experiences between regional and, and, the, and a city? Well, I came out in the city and I don't know what the experience would have been like coming out in the country. I know for me, having supportive teachers around me was really important. And I think that's probably equally important in country areas. I think it's tougher when you don't have those support networks. And I think particularly in some rural isolated communities, that's probably the case there where there isn't that built up support network. That said, 
I think rural and regional communities are changing and we're seeing more and more acceptance and inclusion and I hope that that's sending a message to young people that aren't yet comfortable with being out or older people as well too. We know there's a lot of people that come out later in life that they can see that the community is supportive of them because I think that's a real barrier towards people coming out if they don't know how they're going to be accepted within their communities, their local communities, their friendship groups, their families. And I think to see visible signs of inclusion is really, really important for people that um, haven't yet made the decision to come out about their sexuality, their gender identity, their sex characteristics. What are you most proud of that you've helped move things forward in the direction that's progressive and inclusive? Yeah, I think um, we do a lot of work and I'm really pleased with just some of the the small but really substantial wins. So this year we had um, an issue with a council out in the Western Wimmera area along the South Australian border, very um, quite isolated communities and we had a community member that asked a question at a council meeting about flying the rainbow flag there and it went back to council and they ended up making a decision against flying the rainbow flag and on top of that the mayor went out onto community radio the next day and described uh, flying the rainbow flag as a problematic gesture and then went on to suggest that some within the community would be calling for lowering of the age of consent and linking in implicitly or explicitly, I don't quite know what his intent was, our communities and pedophilia, which was deeply upsetting. Um, And what we saw from that moment is a lot of people within the communities around Caniver and Eden Hope, which um, was where this council was based, come out and strongly condemn the mayor's comments. And what they ended up doing, the local community there, was putting on their own little pride event to celebrate and support the community. And thanks to the efforts of the community, the media attention that was attracted around this by community members speaking up and speaking out, council ended up reversing its decision. It decided to put up rainbow flags, not just at the council chambers, but in five communities throughout the municipality there. The community event went ahead. It was hugely successful and hugely popular. And I think, for me, that was just so heartwarming. Mm. What the mayor said perhaps years ago, would have been dismissed and forgotten about and our communities would have had to suffer under it. But what we saw is so many in the community, so many allies and community members themselves who felt confident to speak out, speaking up, and it completely changed the story. The council ended up um, reversing its decision and backing the community. And to me, I think that was one of the most heartwarming things to see how just how much things had changed and how through community action we can really change um, the ways that governments treat us. Wow, that's mm. a powerful story. Hey? <laughs> yeah, Hopefully. Yeah. And so you still feel, I guess, connected to the city from, mm. from Ballarat and is it a change that you is good for you? Do you feel like it's been really good for your lifestyle? And I think the good thing about Ballarat is it's still commutable to the city, so I still feel connected in with my um, friends that live in Melbourne. Uh, And 
I suppose um, one of the challenges with um, what I found in Ballarat, and I don't know if it's the same for other regional communities, but it doesn't feel like you're a true local until you've lived here for three <laughs> generations. <laughs> so yeah. um, there is that little bit of mm. mentality, which I think is rapidly changing now that um, during COVID we've had so many people move up from Melbourne because it's uh, a bit cheaper in terms of real estate. It's a lovely lifestyle. It's commutable from the city and... I think uh, it's a bit more relaxed up here as well too. So I think it's a a challenging thing to adjust to regional life Mm. after living in the city, but it also has its benefits as well too. Mm. What are your favourite things in Ballarat, like your favourite spots or your favourite...? Oh, I love... um, I love going to our art gallery in town um, and some of the beautiful architecture within the town. Uh, I think it's amazing that that's all managed to be retained. I do like going to Sovereign Hill. It's a bit tourist tacky, but I love it. You know, all the people in dress-ups, all the beautiful boiled lollies and just all of the, you know, going back in time and seeing what it was like during that sort of gold rush era. Mm. And... I think it's also a lovely city to get around with by foot. So that was one of the other challenges is in coming up to regional Victoria's. I don't drive. So uh, it was a bit of an adjustment to get used to um, an area that has less public transport that's readily available and an area that's very oriented towards car driving. Wow. I think one of the big things that people talk about a lot in Ballarat is the lack of car parking in the city and that seems to be a hot button issue whereas <laughs> for me it's just, well, you know, my life has never been um, about driving so it's been a bit uh, of a, a, an adjustment, adjustment to get used to the the car culture here in Ballarat. Oh, well done. Mm. Do you ride a bike? Or? No, I don't ride a bike oh. either. I walk and I navigate our, our strange... Uh, bus system here in Ballarat. And do you find that you've got Melbourne friends who come for holidays or visits? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is. Um, it is funny. You know, I've always had to travel by public transport, so I'm used to travelling what will be long periods of time. But for me, um, what I love about catching the train down much more than I would if I were driving is that I can get you know work done before mm. I've even got into the office. But for people that are from Melbourne, they find the one-and-a-half-hour commute into Melbourne quite shocking and a long journey. And I think that's one of the other things about moving to regional Victoria is all of those long journeys start to become the norm and an hour-and-a-half by train is just how it is, whereas for people coming up from Melbourne, it's seen as you can't go up there for a day, you know, it's such a trek and all of that. So it's a a funny different perspective that people have on distance. Mm, Yeah. Mm. How long were you in England for? I was there for 18 months. So I was studying over there. I got a um, scholarship to do my... uh, doctorate. Mm -hmm. And as part of that scholarship, I had to spend a portion of time at one of our partner universities, which is the University of Warwick. Um, It's based in the Midlands of the UK near Coventry, kind of not too far from Birmingham. Okay, And yeah, so I was there for a year and I loved it so much that I pushed it out for another six months before eventually... I couldn't drag it out any longer and I had to, come, had to come back, back home. Come back yeah. to Ballarat. To come back to Ballarat, yes. And did you mm. end up buying a house? Yes, yeah. My partner bought a house here. Without um, you there? Without me, there, sight unseen. <laughs> I really? Went, yeah, the first time um, I got off the plane, 
caught the bus up to Ballarat and walked up and there was a house Did that I was like now it? living in. It's a beautiful place. Is yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a... Uh, moving from uh, apartments into a house is a bit of an adjustment as well too. Yeah. You know, you've got lawns to mow and all of this kind <laughs> of stuff and we're both busy people that occupy our weekends with many things. So doing the tinkering around the house is uh, often falls down the mm-hmm. list of things to do. Yeah, the maintenance. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's, um, I think we've covered most things. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Your coffee's ready. Thanks so much. Thank you. This podcast is released every Tuesday and Friday, and could not have been possible without the support of our local community partners, Midsummer and the Fair of Victoria portfolio of the Victorian State Government. Throughout the series, you will hear firsthand the successes, hopes, dreams, fears, and struggles of diverse members of our community. Pride Finder, the Rainbow Road Trip was a travelling project commissioned during the 2023 Midsummer Festival as part of the State Government's initiative, Victoria's Pride. Helen Thomas, an award-winning creative audio producer, journalist and queer ally, developed a mobile story studio with the purpose of encouraging connection, cultivating empathy and preserving people's experiences. As much of Victoria's queer history relies on verbal recount, Midsummer, Helen and the Pride Finder connected with regionally living LGBTQIA Victorians to help capture their unique stories. These conversations are frank, honest, and reflect the language, thoughts, history, and opinions of the individual. Views may not be shared by Midsummer or the Victorian State Government. Please keep yourself safe and refer to the show notes for specific triggers related to each episode. If something in this podcast has made you feel uncomfortable or brought up challenging feelings, please seek support from a loved one or from one of the helplines listed at the bottom of the show notes. 